Welcome to episode 26 in the second season of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. Our title topic today is India and its fight over ivermectin. In that country, the Indian Bar Association is taking officials of the World Health Organization to court for what they allege is the deliberate blocking of ivermectin as a treatment for COVID. Early in the pandemic, that country's most populous province distributed ivermectin to every household as a kind of Hail Mary to fight off the advance of the disease. I believe they did something similar in Goa as well, giving it and zinc to COVID patients convalescing at home. It seemed to work. But then the WHO intervened and shut it down. Those who defend the practice claim that this has already and will in the future lead to many unnecessary deaths. More and more people are twigging to the possible ramifications of what is going on over there in India, so we'll do our bit to publicize the debate. Of course, there is a lot of Justice Center business to discuss, from the lifting of rights-violating restrictions in the West, to the release of Pastor Tim Stevens from prison in Calgary, coinciding with the lifting of said restrictions. And for that release, I think the Justice Center can take a small victory lap. We'll get to that stuff first. But even before that, I have to ask you, John, what does it feel like to do our first podcast in over a year without masks? (laughs) Well, that's right. I always wear my mask when doing this podcast because, you know, you never know with COVID. I mean, it could probably just go through you know, the, the internet and uh, go, go through the microphone and make its way to the uh, separate location where you are. Uh, well, I'm, so. I'm less than six feet from my computer. Did you know that? And, and I'm less than six feet away from my computer as well. So I think, mm, I think yes, without, well, without I, wearing masks, we're putting our lives at risk. Yeah, well, we had no problem here in Edmonton, though I'll tell you, you know, the mask mandate came off on July 1st. That is the municipal one. And I go across the street, I live across the street from a shopping mall, and I walk through the shopping mall to go grocery shopping, and I would say about 75% of the people in that mall are still wearing masks. 75%. Uh, And it's strange, because I go through the shopping mall, and I get to my grocery store, and then it drops to about 50%. I'm kind of ballparking it here, but I'm, you know, a lot fewer people in the grocery store wearing masks, but out in the shopping mall, it still seems pretty heavy. I was quite surprised. Anyways, down in Calgary, you had a little bit of a problem there. They didn't uh, lift it until, what, uh, the 5th. They had a vote on it. It was contentious up until the moment of the vote. <laughs> so on July so, 5th, Calgary Calgary City Council uh, voted to lift the uh, mandatory masks for private establishments, which I, I take that to mean shopping malls, movie theaters, et cetera. And, uh, but, but for city-owned property like our – our gyms and swimming pools and rec centers and that sort of thing, the uh, masks are still mandatory at city-owned facilities. Just utterly, yeah. utterly ridiculous on, on, on so many levels. Uh, I'll recap them very briefly, maybe for first-time listeners. Uh, yeah. COVID is not the Spanish flu of 1918, which um, 
Professor Neil Ferguson of Imperial College claimed it was in March of 2020, said that tens of millions of people would die, put us into a state of fear. Uh, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney has publicly compared COVID to the Spanish flu of 1918, uh, which killed 20 to 50 million people when uh, the world's population was barely a quarter of what it is today. Some historians say 100 million So, I mean, if COVID was like the Spanish flu of 1918, we'd see over 200 million dead. And, you know, where are we at? Three to four million people uh, who've died with it, not necessarily of it, in the context of 55 million people that die every year in the world. Um, So COVID is not the unusually deadly killer that they told us it was, uh, does not have a significant impact on life expectancy, has not affected Canadian death rates in uh, 2020, where the, we're in line with death rates in 2019, 2018, 2017. So that's the first reason masks are... Oh, that was just one? <laughs> so yeah, first of all, COVID is not the unusually deadly killer that that politicians have been fear-mongering us in, into believing in the past uh, year and three months. Uh, secondly, Masks are useless uh, and harmful to uh, to some people. But I mean, when, once you once you figure out the truth about COVID not being the unusually deadly virus that politicians have made it out to be, everything else collapses. I mean, the the masks, the social distancing, and and then there's all these other related lies like COVID causes hospital overcrowding. Uh, no, that's not true. Canada's had serious problem with periodic hospital overcrowding for decades. So to pretend that this is COVID caused is dishonest. Maybe and, some and, good will come of that. Maybe they will actually now prepare for a pandemic like they said they were doing prior to COVID. You know, oh, we're all ready for it now. And then it shows up. That, well, that's like, that's totally how we collapse. That's how incompetent and deceptive so many of our politicians are. They started warning us in March of 2020 that there would be a second wave and that there would be variants and there would be this, that, and the other thing, booga, 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 booga. And then lo and behold, they had uh, six, nine, 12 months to increase hospital capacity and actually get ready for... Because increasing hospital capacity, yes, it would be expensive, but it would be a fraction of the cost of destroying the economy and uh, and just the human suffering inflicted by shredding the uh, shredding the fabric of our civil society and yeah. putting some, you know. But building hospitals takes time. I mean, they they know they can do things like field hospitals. They got that going in Alberta. They know they can ship them out to other jurisdictions. Although in a pandemic, I'm not sure if that's the greatest way to contain things by shipping patients to other province. You know, every every school in Alberta, and I'd say probably every school in most schools have a gym that is not small. So mm. if ever uh, there was really a surge of patients, and I'm not talking only about, about COVID, but, but anything else, if there ever was a, a real medical crisis, you could use gyms, which are generally heated and mm. waterproof, and you could put a lot of patients into school gyms, uh, even without closing the schools for that matter. But seeing as, all, as so many schools in uh, all across Canada have been sitting empty for months and months on end at various times during the school year, uh, there were gyms there that were uh, available for use if you need emergency, uh, temporary, extra hospital 
capacity. Right. And, uh, my point was, hey, how about you make a plan this time, eh? You said you had a plan. Obviously, you had no plan. You know, so... Uh, plan is lockdowns forever. Well, as if, as if they're lockdowns. not harmful. It doesn't have to be lockdowns. We know they really don't work. I don't think they work very well. Uh, that's been proven. I, oh, on the mask issue, there was a, a story out of uh, JAMA, the Journal of American Medicine, Medical Association, a magazine about masks that said, don't put them on children. They actually harm children because they, it has them breathing in, of course, their own carbon uh, dioxide. And uh, I guess that was the saddest thing about, you know, going across the street, going shopping, uh, was seeing all these little kids with masks on. And knowing that story's been out now, I think, for at least a week, maybe longer. It's it's not getting any play, obviously, in the mainstream media. Otherwise, these parents wouldn't be harming their kids because I know they don't want to do it intentionally. But That's right. Parents yeah. generally, with very few exceptions, will not intentionally harm their own children. Right. So obviously well, – the- Masks on children is, is doubly or triply – idiotic because children are not threatened by COVID and children do not transmit COVID to adults. So even if masks were effective in stopping the spread of COVID, for which there's no credible evidence, but even if they were, you still wouldn't need to put them on children. Mm-hmm. And, and apart from the kids, you know, having to breathe in their own carbon dioxide over and over again, uh, I think there's mental and psychological harm And uh, even for babies to not learn how to recognize faces and how to recognize smiles and frowns and uh, it must be a scary world for the little kids with uh, just seeing uh, people's eyes only and just missing out on a face. Maybe they get used to it. Maybe they'll get scared when all all the masks come off, you know, but uh, hard to say. Anyway, so that's great uh, that at least Calgary got rid of its mask mandate, though I did see the story there with... uh, I think it was four councillors. The nice thing was it kind of forced them to go on the record as voting against it. We do have municipal elections coming up in the fall. And so uh, it was nice to see people going on the record. And, you know, even kudos to Ninchi. He actually voted against the mask mandate. I think that's what I read. So uh, we've been pretty hard on that guy. And we will continue to be. But <laughs> he was uh, he was on the right side here. So I think he... Uh, he seems to exhibit a little bit of a sort of a hypochondriac type behavior himself, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He he does uh, he does like me. I think fall into the category of uh, holding a little too much weight, which apparently is uh, one of the uh, factors that is uh, puts you in the high risk category. So obesity. Yeah, you're not allowed to talk about that. That would be judgmental if you. I judge point, myself. Point to- Pointed out, no, not allowed. Um, I judge myself. You pointed- <laughs> I'm not obese, but I gotta lose about thirty pounds in order to get rid of. The- in the order to get out of that category, I gotta lose about thirty pounds. So that's my goal. Goes to show you again how political everything is in society and not scientific. If if we were uh, truth loving, science loving people, we would uh, just speak as necessary about the very high correlation between obesity and COVID deaths, but. You don't hear much of that. Uh, if I were a science-loving person, I would stop eating potato chips. Okay. <laughs> That's the final word on science. Okay. Anyways, I, I think you should, uh, I, although, you know, he, he only got out of out of jail, I think you should take a little victory lap for uh, Pastor Tim Stevens, because uh, when he stepped out of jail, <clears throat> as he was giving an interview, I think, to Rebel Media, he did uh, thank you guys for the hard work that you did in, in getting him out of jail. So... Maybe you could just take a quick uh, victory lap there. Uh, 
Good well, job. It's, bitters- it's bittersweet. I'm very happy that Pastor Tim Stevens of uh, Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary got out of jail on July 1st. And so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, he did spend 16 days in jail, but there's it, it's bittersweet for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that the injunction that was used to put Pastor Tim Stevens into jail did not even apply to him. And there's a flagrant disregard for the rule of law on the part of Alberta Health Services. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alberta Health Services did obtain an injunction against Whistle Stop Cafe in the small town of Mirror, uh, somewhere west or northwest of Edmonton. And um, that injunction applies only to Christopher Scott, Glenn Carrot, and other people working with Whistle Stop Cafe and working in concert with the cafe and and with the instruct with um, and under their instructions. So the injunction was directed against this one cafe that uh, was exercising charter freedoms and uh, not following the unscientific and unconstitutional health orders. And so the police were in a position to validly enforce it against Christopher Scott and Glenn Carrick and other people if they uh, violated the health orders, because now it got taken to a very different level in that if you violated the health orders, you were in contempt of court and in in contempt of a court order issued by a judge. That injunction never applied to Pastor Tim Stevens, who's got nothing to do with Whistle Stop. So he was illegally arrested and illegally imprisoned for 16 days. Uh, That makes it bittersweet. He should never have been in jail in the first place. And then secondly, this is happening at the same time that the Alberta government is running away from the opportunity that they've had in court for over over seven months now, uh, since since December the 5th, since we sued the Alberta government to end lockdowns uh, December the 5th or thereabouts, early December 2020, it's been seven months and not a shred of medical or scientific evidence has been put before the court by the Alberta government. And that is so flagrantly hypocritical. It's just an utter lack of integrity that on the one hand, you would jail people for uh, issuing, for, for breaking health orders, and at the same time, not put forward medical and scientific evidence in court to justify them when those very same health orders under which you're jailing pastors uh, are being challenged in court for their lack of constitutionality, for being an unjustified violation of charter freedoms. That's such an utter lack of integrity. On the one hand, you're jailing pastors for breaking the health orders, yet when these very same health orders are challenged in court as unreasonable and unjustified violations of our charter freedoms to move, travel, associate, assemble, worship, etc. And the government will not put medical or scientific evidence before the court to justify these same measures under which they are jailing pastors. Right. If, yeah. that's, if that's not a disgusting lack of integrity, uh, I, I don't know what is. I agree, uh, but I cannot spare the justice system here because uh, the the slowness of it and the fact that this is going to be dealt with long after the rights were violated tells me that 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 system is not working, does not work for the charter. Because if they can violate rights for a whole year and not justify them because they can just sort of stick handle it, you know, through the court system until it's, it's long past, that just isn't good enough. I'm sorry. 
Not good I, enough. Well, I, I agree with you. It's it's disgraceful that that governments can use the Alberta government as an example, but this would be true for every provincial government in Canada and the federal government, that, that the Alberta government can flagrantly, blatantly violate our charter rights and freedoms of 4.4 mil- <clears throat> million people who are kept locked up in their own homes and uh, have to wear masks and businesses are destroyed and you know all team sports uh, are, are shut down and pubs and restaurants closed everything everything is shut down to varying degrees I mean there were some you know periodic re- partial relaxations I know the Southland Leisure Center close to my home uh, which has a nice uh, a wave pool and and a bunch of it and it's got a rink and it's got this and that it, it has never reopened since March of 2020. It's been closed for 15 months, right? You know, yes. this city-owned facility. So here you've got a provincial government that's violating our rights and freedoms of 4.4 million people for a year and three months. And we're, we're barely getting close to having to, you know, finally have the government produce some evidence in court to justify these measures. It's absolutely disgraceful. And yeah. yet the court system moves very quickly when it was getting an injunction against whistle stop and Christopher Scott and Glenn Carrot, oh yeah, the uh, uh, Alberta Health Services, you know, went in there without notice to those parties. Went in yeah. there on an ex party, meaning without notice to the other side. Went into court and immediately got an injunction. And the arrest and imprisonment of of pastors has been immediate. Right. Yeah. Well, as this whole thing shakes out and people start talking about how we can handle these things better, I hope this comes up. The justice system has to deal with these questions and has to force governments to deal with them. Otherwise, the charter is just completely useless. I'm afraid. I just well, I can't. I can't disagree with you with this. With with how slow the court system is, it's mm-hmm. an absolute disgrace. And when there are charter challenges, whether they're accepted or rejected, uh, they should be dealt with swiftly. Well, maybe especially make, if, make especially it a high if it's standard, an honor, but deal with them quickly. You know. Especially if it's a, if it's a live issue. I mean, if somebody is illegally arrested, and maybe they're, the police have engaged in unreasonable search or seizure, uh, or they, they they violated the rights of the accused person, now that too should be dealt with in a timely fashion. But if the accused person is not in jail, and it ends up taking a year and a half before you finally get a court ruling that you know yes, this person's charter rights were unjustifiably violated or not, if that takes a year and a half. If the person is not in jail, then uh, it's it's not ideal, but it, you know it's not the end of the world that it may have taken a year and a half to get a court ruling on whether somebody's charter rights and freedoms were justified were violated, uh, yes or no. Mm. But when it comes to lockdowns, this is an ongoing uh, infliction of harm and suffering on on people on a daily basis, and it, it shouldn't take months or years. Right, yeah. And who knows, they could do it again. I I stand by what I said the other day uh, about uh, the Alberta government having to pass a law that the uh, PCR cycle level has to be published with any positive results, as they did down in Florida going forward. If I don't see that, then I'm going to be very hard on the Alberta government because then I know that they're going to be abusing rights again. Um, Speaking speaking of the Alberta government, I have to mention, because I had – I had coffee with a Calgary pastor yesterday who who was a huge fan of Jason Kenney. And basically, you know, Jason said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's kind Mm -hmm. of you, you should just be in favor of lockdowns because that, you know, Jason Kenney brought them in. So it must be pretty good policy. Can't be anything seriously wrong with it. 
but he, I, I said, you know, Jason Kenney is the only premier in Canada, probably in the English speaking world, but possibly in the entire world. I don't know who's locked up pastors for not uh, complying with lockdown measures and has, has put them in jail. And this pastor said, well, that's because that's because in the other provinces, the pastors uh, were all good Christians and they were all complying with the lockdown measures. And I said, no, that is not the case. Uh, we represent pastors. Uh, we have represented and are representing pastors in British Columbia, uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and elsewhere who are in trouble with the government over not uh, complying with, with unscientific and unconstitutional lockdown measures. And the reason they're not in jail is very simply that the governments in other provinces outside of Alberta have chosen to limit themselves only to handing out fines. Now that too gets gets very extreme and aggressive. There's pastors in Ontario, you know, multi-million dollar uh, fine, accumulated fines totaling millions of dollars that have been slapped on individuals and churches. Mm -hmm. But other than Jason Kenney, there's no other premier in Canada that deliberately took the step of taking it to the next level, so to speak, and jailing pastors. Jason Kenney's the only premier in Canada who's done that, and it was his choice. And, and your it's not, friend said... It's, I don't think he liked that information. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Conversation ends there. We won't bring it up any further. Speaking of it happening again, I got to tell you about my face plant. Uh, you you might have remembered, you might remember a few shows back, uh, it was sort of being a little bit uh, facetious and saying, what are we going to be on next year? The Lambda variant. And uh, <laughs> guess what? Hmm. There's a Lambda variant. <laughs> And it's coming out of Peru. Oh. Yeah. And it's the same kind of fear-mongering. Like, well, we don't know how scary these variants are. And they might be worse than the first brand of COVID. Well, well this one they're trying to determine <clears throat> uh, whether it is resistant to vaccines. Uh, what are all the vaccinated people going to say if, if six or nine or 12 months from now, these vaccines don't work against another COVID variant? Are they all uh, going to have to line something up? by Michael Yeadon. Oh, by the way, there was a reader that wrote in uh, and gave us some good information on uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon, a, uh, a fellow that's been speaking out against the lockdowns for a long time. I think back uh, around the same time uh, Rainier, Rainier Fulmich came online, he was speaking out about him, and he's actually teamed up with that group. Anyways, I forgot what I was going to say about him. Okay, well... We'll just let it Dr. Go. Michael Yeadon, something about the vaccines. Yes. Oh, uh, he was talking about the variants, actually. Okay. He was saying that uh, no variant diverges from the original more than uh, 0.3%. So okay. this whole idea of them being resistant to vaccines, uh, the variants being resistant to vaccines, is nonsense. If if the vaccine works on the one, it's going to work on the variant simply because they just the variants don't diverge that much from the original. Oh, okay, okay. So, so it's I kind of a interesting pro-vaccine message, so to speak. Well, he's anti-vaccine actually, but he was he was talking about vaccines in general. He's talking about variants and how much they diverge from the original. From the original, they, you know, no more than point three percent. So, you know, it's it's not like that. Uh, we should worry about the vaccine if they work. It'll work against the variants. So. Speaking of vaccines, uh, there is a new video uh, posted in the last day or two 
I, I anticipate that we're going to have it posted at uh, www.jccf.ca on our own website as well. I had the privilege of being on a panel Zoom discussion. It, it was went on for about two and a half hours in total. And I was on with Dr. Charles Hoff from British Columbia, Dr. Roger Hodkinson from Alberta, Dr. Francis Christian from Saskatchewan, and Dr. Chris Milborn, Milburn, rather, from Nova Scotia. All four of them are, are Justice Centre clients. All four oh. of them are facing either discipline from their college or uh, entire job loss, being fired from the university department where they were working previously, or they've had their hospital privileges removed. Uh, so all, all four of them have suffered various consequences. And in, uh, in one of the cases, and w- yeah, we talked about this, uh, Dr. Francis Christian right, from yeah. Saskatchewan talked about last week, yeah. had the temerity to state some basic facts like uh, COVID is not a threat to children. Children are not spreaders of COVID. Uh, this vaccine is untested and uh, there are health risks involved that nobody is uh, that that people are not being informed of it's just a go 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 get the jab make it all simple roll up your sleeve bingo there you go all done uh, Dr. Charles Hoff has lost, has been suspended from uh, hospital privileges so he's losing half of his income because now he's uh, he can only do the family medicine practice and can no longer work in the hospital, which of course is hurting the community because it's lit in British Columbia, which apart from uh, suffering fires, uh, I don't know to what extent, if, uh, but certainly there were fires in Lytton. Uh, Dr. Hoff's own medical office got, got burned to the ground, uh, devastating. Uh, but in a small town like that, you typically do not have a lot of doctors uh, on mm. a per capita basis. So I don't know how many doctors there are in, in, in Lytton, but whether it's, whether it's uh, uh, 10 or 7 or 3 or 11, it's not a huge number. So if you take one of your very few doctors and say you can no longer practice in the hospital, uh, that's actually hurting the community because there's fewer doctors available to care for people. Now, Dr. Hoff's crime was to raise concerns about what he had seen in his own practice with a relatively high percentage in relation to other vaccines anyway, a lot of his patients are suffering side effects and complications. Uh, there have been, I believe, uh, one or more deaths. Uh, this one of his patients used to be able to walk two miles very easily and can now only walk a quarter mile. And he's just completely, totally out of breath and has to sit down and uh, and take a rest. He can't walk anymore because of the respiratory system. And so doctor check out the check out our website you can hear firsthand what what Dr. Hoff has to say about Is it up the, now? It will be by the time this podcast airs. Right on. Okay, I'm looking so, forward to that. It's the first I've heard of it. That sounds great. What's the scuttlebutt? What are they saying behind the scenes, John, off the record? Well, this is on the record because <laughs> oh, we're we're uh, publishing our I this know, is a 2 hour sorry the, the the two-hour Zoom discussion, which was recorded with our knowledge and consent, we okay. knew that it would be publicized. So chaired by another doctor, uh, Dr. Samuel Dubay. Uh, he was kind of the moderator. And then each of the four doctors I mentioned uh, from BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Nova Scotia talked about their own stories and what happened. And this is simply for you know public statements about what they're seeing, effects of the vaccine, uh, Dr. Chris Milburn 
And uh, I've heard other doctors say it. They're seeing patients firsthand. They're not like, you know, Dr. Bonnie Henry or Dr. Tina Henshaw that that have seen very few patients uh, in the past 10 or 20 years. Uh, These doctors are seeing firsthand the ill effects, like pediatricians seeing a rise in suicide attempts among children, Uh, pediatricians seeing a rise in eating disorders amongst children, pediatricians seeing a rise in mental health disorders amongst children, and family physicians seeing people that are suffering the ill effects of being locked up in their homes. They can't go to the gym. They can't do team sports. They can't socialize. They can't go to church. They can't meet up with friends at the pub. There is a huge toll to people's health when you are locked up for a year and three months to to various extents and your social support network is cut off. And uh, these chief medical officers uh, seem to be clinging to this delusional belief that that somehow Zoom and Skype discussions and phone discussions are uh, a good substitute for meeting in person when obviously they're not. The medical and scientific literature was out long before lockdowns. There's medical and scientific literature in abundance that tells us that it is good for your health to meet with other people in person and to socialize in person and to be isolated is bad for your mental health and is bad for your physical health. Right. Yeah. But their minions seem to be going out and attacking doctors who speak out or say anything against it, even in almost a mild form. It's not like these guys are, you know, join some extremist club, you know, but that's the way they get painted for some reason. By their well, they're, they're guilty. They're guilty of the crime of promoting vaccine hesitancy. Now, this is utterly unscientific because the, the scientific approach to this vaccine or any other is to be informed, look at the pros and cons, uh, take into account, you know, has this been subjected to multi-year testing? Uh, vaccines typically take five to seven years. Some vaccines, 10, 15, 20 years before they're actually made available to the public. This is a vaccine that's been rushed through, assuming that they started working on it uh, March 15th when lockdowns began. We're, we're barely a year and three months into this, and there's no testing on the long-term effects of it. The, uh, the mRNA vaccine in particular is new. It, uh, there is next to zero previous testing on human beings with this vaccine that uh, alters your gene structure. So a scientific approach, it's, it's not pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. The scientific approach is that for each and every vaccine, you consider how many years of testing it's been subjected to. You consider the degree of harm. Some of the doctors I've spoken with say that, that any other vaccine that had this degree of deaths and complications would have been pulled off the market immediately. And this is even with the numbers not being necessarily that high. I'm not suggesting that you know, a quarter of the vaccinated people are, are dropping dead or suffering complications. But the numbers of deaths and complications from these new uh, anti-COVID vaccines is at a level where if a previous vaccine had had this level of death and complications, it would be pulled immediately and we'd be saying back to the drawing board. True, true, true. And and now we're we're giving it to children and encouraging children to get it. It's just yeah. a disgrace. And we're giving saline shots instead of the vaccine. Did you see that story today? No, I think it was in Niagara. Me. They have to recall something like 250 people to have a, a third shot because six of them were probably shot up with just saline solution. That's it. 
And oh, are they, they quite, counting on a placebo effect now? No, they just, they, they screwed up. You know, obviously they, they have this saline solution to dilute the vaccine. I'm not sure exactly how it works. But anyways, they accidentally injected, they think about six because they had vaccine left over and they had saline missing. So they concluded from that, that perhaps all these 250 or so people are something around that. I'm not sure of the detail, but they all got to be called in again for another shot. So they'll be getting a third shot. Also, there was a scandal out of India where uh, somebody was scamming people. Like you know, there was something like uh, three thousand or so people that uh, paid for a, a shot, and all they got was salt water as well. So you know, there's a bit of that going on too. So, anyways, having mentioned India, it's kind of a segue into something that I wanted to talk about because I'm thinking that all eyes are on India now because of the uh, situation over there regarding ivermectin and the fight that's going on. And I actually, when I was referring to this uh, last week and I drew attention to it in a a story that I put in the show notes, uh, I was under the impression that this was kind of a new development, but I did a little more research and it actually started last year uh, in the first wave where uh, the biggest province in India Uttar Pradesh. Uttar Pradesh. Yes, I, I listened to the Wikipedia pronunciation. I, I, just, I can't quite get it. Anyways, it's the largest sort of state, province, whatever it is in India, uh, with something like 200 million people. They uh, decided right off the bat that they were going to hand out ivermectin. They did. And uh, they claimed that that's what kept their rate way down compared to everybody else. And then uh, second wave comes along and uh, they're going to do it again. And uh, the who says, no, you can't do that. And that's when everybody got really mad. And in fact, right now, the Indian Bar Association, or something called the Indian Bar Association, I don't know how to say it in Indian, or Hindi or whatever. Um, Probably they are actually- They've got a bilingual bilingual logo, Indian Bar Association, and there is a script in a different alphabet below, which I assume is Hindi, which is, I believe, the- uh, the largest or the most commonly spoken non-English language in India. In that, in that particular uh, region as well, that is the largest. Yeah, they're, they're mostly Hindi there. Anyways, uh, they are going after the WHO science officer who happens to be Indian, and I'll let you take a crack at pronouncing her name. And they're also going after uh, Tedros as well, the head of WHO. And the articles that I've seen are pretty severe. Uh, I haven't got uh, 100% verification of it, but they are talking, you know, like, and this, you know, carries the death penalty, you know, (laughs) that's the severity to which uh, they're referring these, these charges to being. Anyways. So if you Google um, Indian Bar Association and uh, on their website, legal notice for contempt of court against Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, uh, and Dr. Sumia Swaminathan, and the Directorate General of Health Services. And according to the Indian Bar Association, the state government of Goa, in their affidavit filed before Bombay High Court, has specifically pointed out that the WHO advisory against the use of ivermectin is flawed. And the research showed that the ivermectin is effective treatment for COVID-19. The Bombay High Court on the 28th of May, 2021, after considering World Health Organization advisory and all other contentions of the rival parties, came to the conclusion that the use of ivermectin cannot be stopped. 
The High Court also has also taken note of the guidelines dated the 17th of May issued by the Indian Council of Medical Research, thereby advocating the use of ivermectin. Thereafter, a detailed and impactful article was published by the leading newspaper, Free Press Journal, on the 6th of June, wherein the author has articulated very well as to how the advisories of the World Health Organization are dubious. So the um, so we have a, a ruling from Bombay High Court of the 28th of May, 2021. And uh, so the, the accused, so Dr. Tedros and... Uh, the um, in India's uh, Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, uh, the accused are served legal notice for their attempt to undermine the authority of the Bombay High Court and obstruct the use of ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment. On the 13th of June 2021, Indian Bar Association has served a notice upon Dr. Tedros and uh, Chief Scientist at the World Health Organization, Dr. Sumiya Swaminathan, for contempt of judgment of the Bombay High Court. So it shall be interesting to... Yeah, well, you know, the, maybe we should take a stab at talking about the implications of this, of course. You know, if this stuff does work, and they they claim it worked in a huge trial. It wasn't really a trial. They did it, I guess, out of panic or out of emergency need in uh, Uttar Pradesh. And it appeared to work. If it is proven to have worked, of course, there's no need for an emergency vaccine because we then have a treatment and early intervention. Okay. So that's that bodes well for the future if it is true. Uh, it also means that there's no need for a lockdown, no need for vaccine, no need for lockdowns, okay? So uh, that's why it's important to keep an eye on this particular situation and uh, to see how they're pressing forward with it and see how it is being blocked because there's a lot of uh, a lot of opposition to the use of ivermectin as well. You can find as many articles against it as you can find for it. I read so. the CDC's uh, short article on ivermectin and I, I found it rather weak insofar as uh, you'd think – I would imagine that if you were against ivermectin's use, that you would point to uh, serious dangers, that you've got a lot of people dying or, or being seriously harmed by ivermectin. I would anticipate that they would say that it's it's uh, it's never been tried and never been used and we don't know about it and we don't know the long-term effects and it causes harm. Um, I, I would expect that kind of stuff. But the only the only rationale I could find on the Center for Disease Control uh, in this one short article, you know, warning against using ivermectin as a either preventative measure or, or cure or partial cure. They, they for say COVID, it can be used at all stages. Yeah. The the only the only rationale against it is that um, we don't have a lot of testing uh, done yet, and we we're not really sure how effective ivermectin is against COVID, and it can be dangerous to use a, a drug for a different purpose, right? So if you've got a drug that's been proven, let's say it's been proven to work well against malaria, okay, fine, you have to be careful if you use it against another illness because it might not work. Sure. And that, that's it. I thought it was a pretty weak uh, case because the even the CDC is not alleging 
that you're going to be harmed by taking small quantities of ivermectin against COVID. But more importantly, um, there's a there's a very comprehensive meta-analysis, uh, ivermectin for prevention and treatment of COVID-19 infection, a systematic review and meta-analysis, and the uh, that's the brainchild of Dr. Tess Laurie. And uh, the link to that, if you look up a website called The Conservative Woman, and there's a lengthy article there titled Scandal of the Suppressed Case for Ivermectin. And so there's a link to that study Although if you study itself, ivermectin for prevention and treatment of COVID-19 infection, a systematic review and meta-analysis. So there's a large-scale large scale study there. And this is, of course, backed up in India. Uh, if, you've got the Canadian, if you've got the Indian Bar Association that is willing to jump into the fray and, and uh, uh, take action against the Bombay High Court decision not being honored, and by the way, let me go back to the Indian Bar Association and read another short paragraph. As per the judgment of the Supreme Court of India, the person responsible for spreading information with object of creating confusion and to obstruct and undermine the judgment of court is liable for punishment under contempt of court. Sections like 505, 192, blah, 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 of the Indian Penal Code are also attracted against the accused in this case, as their intention was to kill several people to fulfill their ulterior purposes. The maximum punishment in above cases is the death penalty. There. Yeah, there's one of them. Yeah, I mentioned So, Canadian Bar Association would never never do something like this. Uh, (laughs) The Canadian Bar Association should really be renamed the uh, Liberal and NDP Lawyers Association because it advocates oh. for it advocates for left-wing positions on all sorts of issues that have little or nothing to do with the practice of law. Uh, the Canadian Bar Association has very appropriately intervened in certain court cases where something integral to lawyers and the practice of law was at stake. Uh, once upon a time, there was some government legislation that threatened to undermine solicitor-client privilege. Now, that would be something where I think lawyers should jump into the fray and say, hey, wait a minute, this law, you know, we must not undermine solicitor-client privilege, namely the lawyer's obligation to keep confidential everything that is said to him or her in the course of, of giving and receiving legal advice. Uh, but what the Canadian Bar Association does is they they take positions on gun control and on immigration and on every, not every, but on many, many political topics. They trot into court and advocate for a left-wing position that has nothing to do with lawyers per se or with the practice of law. And uh, I've... I'm sure the Canadian Bar Association is probably very pro-lockdown, although I've, I've not I've not looked that up. Well, we, why don't we invite them to investigate ivermectin here in Canada? You know, we have uh, some lawyers that or some uh, doctors that have gone on the record. In fact, we quoted from one extensively the other day uh, that have gone on the record saying it works. Uh, maybe you could go to bat for them, go to bat against anybody that uh, suppressed it. The uh, the drug or suppressed hydroxychloroquine, although you know they always have the scapegoat of the uh, the Lancet publishing the bogus study, as I've mentioned before. So, but you, so so you're saying the Indian Bar Association is based? I think is the term, right? <laughs> They're based. New uh, this another new term I don't know about. Oh, okay. the list grows. Yeah, right. 
Based means good. Yeah, they're, based uh, is good. They're, yeah, they're that grounded. Means, yeah, B-A-S-E-D. Yeah, that means they're, you know. They are based. Yeah, All right. That's right. All right. Yeah, yeah not, not basted as in basting a turkey. So, for sure. Just looking at this, uh, just looking at this story uh, on uh, the website called The Conservative Woman, Scandal of the Suppressed Case for Ivermectin. Ivermectin is little known in Western countries, but worldwide is one of the most widely used drugs at 3.8 billion doses and counting, earning the 2015 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for its discoverers. It has crushed the hideously disabled infestation of Onchocerciastis or river blindness across the tropics. A potent antiparasitic, it is used for threadworms, scabies, and head lice. It costs pence per pill, or as non-Brits might say, it costs uh, pennies per pill. It is a known antiviral working across a range of RNA viruses and some DNA viruses. Uh, it may even be an anti-cancer drug. Uh, let's skip over that. The usual suspects declared that this meant nothing that you couldn't get it strong enough. Uh, nevertheless, the Monash, Monash paper set off a series of clinical trials of ivermectin for COVID-19, usually in low- and middle-income countries, L-M-I-C, low- and middle-income countries, or in plain English, poor countries. Yes. There is good reason for this. If you are dirt poor, you need your medicines to be dirt cheap. Nothing else will be any use. What did they find? Ivermectin works for COVID-19 at entirely tolerable doses. Yeah. So I think they gave no... like 24 pills per family in uh, Uttar Pradesh. I think uh, there was a story in an, uh, an English version of uh, an Indian magazine that I read. That's what they did. Papers showed how cases and deaths in Peru came crashing down where ivermectin was freely distributed and not where it wasn't. Same phenomenon has been repeated in India more recently. States, states such as Goa that adopt mass distribution of infermectin crush their cases. Those that refuse it, such as Tamil Nadu, do not crush uh, case numbers. So yeah, this is uh, well, it's anecdotal, but I mean, it's it's well, real it's more than anecdotal. Trials. There's a doctor, doctor uh, Philip. Russell, Dr. Philip, good grief. The one who appeared in Ottawa on June the 17th at the press conference, uh, he referenced a number, and we covered this on a prior podcast. Uh, there are numerous studies. I don't know if the number is 30, 40, 50. There are studies on the successful use of ivermectin in preventing, curing, managing COVID, preventing COVID deaths. And uh, so there are Lots of studies out there, and an even larger number on uh, the efficacy of vitamin C in uh, helping people to not get sick with symptoms or managing symptoms once they do get sick with COVID. And I just, at the risk of sounding conspiratorial, I, I just find it so odd and inexplicable that the chief medical officers like uh, Dina Hinshaw in Alberta swore in an affidavit filed with the court, and she has not yet been cross-examined on that, swore in an affidavit that uh, there are no cures for COVID, period. Very short sentence. There are no cures for COVID. Well, what about vitamin D and ivermectin? Uh, I, I hope she's going to prepare well for her cross-examination and maybe 
review all of the 90-something studies about how vitamin D is helpful and read and review all 30-plus ivermectin studies so that when she's cross-examined, she's in a position to explain how all of these studies are uh, junk science and they're all flawed and they're all worthless. Because it makes no sense to me, and I'm obviously I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving out medical advice, but it makes no sense to me that if you have a cure, even if it's only 60% effective, or even if it's only 40% effective or 10% effective, if you've got a cure that is not causing harm and that has an effectiveness of only 10% or even 50 or 60 or 70%, only a partial effectiveness, why on earth, if you love science, if you love truth, if you care about people, why would you take an aggressive or hostile stance against a potential remedy, uh, even if only partially effective? Yeah. Why would you? Why would you be hostile to a partially effective remedy that was not inflicting harm? I mean, I think the only the only possible valid reason, in my view, would be that you know, if if you had studies and reports that showed conclusively that taking large amounts of vitamin D was having harmful side effects. You know, yeah. if there were studies, if there were studies to that effect. And, and if that was the case, I'm sure those would exist by now because vitamin D has been readily available in pill form for a very long time. And if there were bad, if there were harmful effects from people taking too much vitamin D, I'm sure the scientific literature would have, would have included that by now. Right. That's why I got to give kudos to these uh, these officials in this Indian province of Uttar Pradesh. I mean, they saw this thing coming at them, you know, this this pandemic coming at them like a freight train out of control. They've got two hundred million people they got to look after, and they there's no hope back in when they were looking at this. There's no hope for a vaccine. So what do they do? Well, they just go to the the next best thing, the cheapest thing, and they get it out there, and they just hope to heck it works. Wow, you know, good for them. I hope everything works out, you know, that stuff isn't harmful because it looks like they may have saved a lot of people. And uh, yeah, kudos, you know. And, and I too wonder why so many governments in um, Europe and in North America ignored this entirely. I know that uh, Dina Hinshaw and all the health ministers, provincial health ministers, were talking to Teresa Tam and her uh, special advisory council. And of course, Tam is connected to who she used to work there and who uh, are the ones being charged with uh, talking down ivermectin in this Indian situation. So maybe it's related to that. I don't know. I mean, I see it. Well, this, this brings us back to the lifting of the lockdowns. I'm profoundly yeah. pessimistic about some kind of a long-term uh long-term solution in terms of restoring our rights and freedoms and restoring, you know, at least partial economic prosperity and, uh, you know, giving people a chance to heal from, uh, the lockdown harms like the, uh, so social isolation and, and loneliness. Uh, I am, I'm pessimistic and skeptical because there is a very anti-science attitude that is on display uh, when you've got the likes of Dina Hinshaw, you know, swearing uh, under oath in a in an affidavit filed with the court that there are no cures for COVID, and ignoring completely the ivermectin and vitamin D, when you have that kind of hostility to uh, not just to science but hostility to humanity by by just shoving off the table vitamin D and ivermectin, 
when that's the when that's the ideology that is reigning today, that's not going to go away with the lifting of lockdowns. You still have a very anti-science mentality. And um, these laws are on the books. Uh, premier Jason Kenney in Alberta and every other Canadian premier can reintroduce lockdowns on a moment's notice yeah. simply by declaring an emergency. And there's very little that can be done to stop the declaration of an emergency. I suppose you could launch a court action and get a hearing six or 12 months later to the effect that there is no emergency. We we, we had a prospective potential health emergency in March of 2020 when we honestly did not know how deadly or not the virus would be. So we had, I think, enough grounds to, to declare an emergency based on the unknown. But we've known since uh, since April or May of last year, after the first uh, four to eight weeks, it became apparent that this is decidedly not the Spanish flu of 1918. Right. And in spite of that, we've had states of emergency in just about every province in Canada go on and on and on for 15 months in respect of a virus that is not much worse than a bad annual flu. Right. Uh, we'll be releasing a paper on that. Next Next paper to go out the door is on uh, lockdown harms. And then after that, we're going to be uh, looking at other uh, pandemics in history and uh, comparing COVID and showing that it is uh, it is within the range of a bad annual flu. Right. Uh, there's been nothing like the Spanish flu of, uh, of 1918 in the past century. Right. And uh, even even the media claim uh, this is the worst uh, this is the worst uh, virus in a century. Even that is not true because the death rates with the Asian flu of 1957 and the Hong Kong flu of 1968, the death rates were higher than COVID. Right. So this is why, and I fear, and I, I hope, I hope I'll be proven wrong, but I fear that uh, the mask wearing, social distancing, business closures, church closures, etc., are going to be replaced by uh, vaccine passports, uh, such that uh, people who do not volunteer to uh, to get themselves injected by an experimental substance uh, are going to become second class citizens, and will be told that they cannot fly on airplanes, they can't go on cruise ships, they can't go to Shopping malls, they can't take their kids to the swimming pool and the rec center, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're not going to be allowed into bars and restaurants. And it will not be difficult for government to turn every business into an arm of the government that is in the business of enforcing these measures. Because yeah. all the government has to do is tell the restaurant, you are hereby ordered to deny entry to people who are not vaccinated. And there will be health inspectors out and about and if you are not uh, diligently screening your patrons at the door and telling the non-vaccinated that they are not allowed in, if you don't do that, we will shut you down. Well, you know, and that's the thing. It, that, and that, that's what's been happening with all the health measures I know, in the past been 15 months. It through, though. And the, the, restaurants, the restaurants and every other business, they know that uh, the health fascists, and, and that's what they are, this is fascism, uh, the health fascists will shut down your business if you do not turn yourself into an arm of the government and enforce these unscientific and unconstitutional health measures. And so I predict, and I sincerely hope I'm wrong, that the next big battle will be vaccine passports and severely curtailed rights and freedoms 
for individuals who do not get uh, the two jabs of the experimental substance. Right. Well, that's where the therapeutics come out, and they they possibly could nullify the need for the vaccine. You nullify the need for the vaccine, no more vaccine passports, you know what I mean? If the therapeutics are proven to work, and uh, if they have been suppressed, uh, there will be a penalty to pay. I wanted to mention, because we're in this relief period right now, you know, where everything seemed to come off really fast. You know, they, the BC, they lifted their restrictions in two days. They announced on July. Suddenly. Yeah, yeah. June 29th, they uh, they said, oh, we're going to lift all the restrictions. I don't know why it happened so fast. And then we saw dominoes falling all over the place. All of a sudden, Trudeau's going to open up the border even, you know, after he was resisting for so long. And then all of a sudden, everything seems to be opening up quickly here. I don't know why. But just, just wait. I mean, Trudeau, Trudeau stated publicly in, uh, in June that come September, uh, those who are not vaccinated will not be able to travel internationally. We'll see. We'll see. Which, uh, which will force, you know, Canadians that want to fly abroad and, and not, uh, volunteer to be, become human guinea pigs or human lab rats will have to drive into the U.S. and then fly from the U.S. to where they want to go. Right, which is a big hassle and hardship. Sure. There's a, a system, a psychological system you go through when you're processing trauma. I saw this back when I was a young man working for a restoration company. We went in and hauled things out of houses after they had been through a fire or a flood or something like that. And then they fixed everything up and you know the, the company, the insurance company paid for what couldn't be restored. And what was restored was returned. The people, they went through kind of a stage, several stages. Of course, at the beginning, they were very grateful and, you know, happy that you were helping them. And then as the thing dragged out, eventually they hit a stage of anger. And that's, Mm. we haven't come to that yet. You know, I mean, we haven't come to that yet as a society. I know that some people, you know, they got angry really early, but as a collectively as a society, we haven't got angry at the governments. I think now in this hiatus, this summer hiatus, maybe people will start to take stock of everything that has changed for the worse. The businesses that have closed down, you know, the uh, the cities. That- I don't know if people are going to get angry when they still believe uh the big lie that, that COVID was an unusually deadly killer and that the government saved us and the other, you know, unproven, uh, no evidentiary support, but the claim that lockdowns have saved lives. I just, I hear this all the time. You know, when I had, uh, when I had coffee with the pastor yesterday, it's like, well, you know, if the, uh, if the COVID death numbers were not that high, it's because of lockdowns. Yeah, I know. But then how did that conversation end? Well, <clears throat> it ended with that guy not really having an answer to you. He didn't like the information you gave him. No, and I, he didn't want to admit that he has not done his own research, and he did not want to admit that he uh, blindly, naively swallows whatever uh, whatever he hears on the six o'clock news. Sure, and of course, nobody will admit to that, right? People want to appear to be very intelligent and independent-minded and sophisticated, and that's why. Oh they- no, I don't. I don't believe everything on the six o'clock news. I think for myself. I do my own research. I gather my own facts. Well, that's a lot of posturing because um, most people do believe everything they hear on the six o'clock news. And they certainly believe everything that uh, chief medical officers say. And I think that's the reality, but but people are loath to admit to that. Everybody wants to, they, they like to think of themselves as investigative researchers that, that uh, do their own thinking. Well, okay. 
will agree to disagree on that. You think? Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that people, people should angry. feel people should feel angry about being lied to about the virus. You know, considering too the source. I mean, Dr. Neil Ferguson has had an abysmal track record, uh, career long track record of of uh, wild exaggerations on uh, mad cow disease, otherwise known as BSE, and bird flu, and uh, all these other viruses. He made these wild predictions using deeply flawed models. So why governments would choose to believe him, of all people, when he came out with the uh, scary, oh, COVID's going to be like the Spanish flu of 1918, why people believed him in the first place is, uh, it boggles the mind. Maybe people like apocalyptic stories. Well, some people do enjoy the drama. Yeah. And I think, too, uh, uh, a lot of people have enjoyed lockdowns because it uh, gives their, their empty lives a sense of meaning and purpose because now they can be part of this crusade to save lives mm-hmm. by uh, you know, complying with all these government edicts and you know hurling verbal abuse at those who do not comply with it. People desperately need a sense of meaning and purpose. And some people, I'm not, I'm not saying all the pro, I'm not saying all the pro lockdown people, but there are certainly some pro lockdown people who have really, uh, at some deep psychological level, they've enjoyed the last year and three months because uh, their lives have been given uh, a meaning and purpose that uh, their lives did not possess previously when they were not able to be on a crusade to uh, save people from this horrible, deadly virus. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's valid, though. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, people want that. That's a good thing. That impulse is good. It just manifested itself in a bad way. And it, you know, manifested itself in dirty stares at people that weren't wearing masks outside or something like that. You know, in walking through the mall, I'll just finish with this. In walking through the mall, again, uh, looking at the people that are wearing masks, I would guess, total guess here, that about you know, half of them were virtue signaling. They were, they enjoyed the lockdown. They want to keep the mask thing going because it does make them feel good. makes them feel like they're helping people. Uh, the other half, I think, are genuinely afraid of the virus. So that's just a guess. But I'm- I, I, I would make the same guess. Yeah, half, yeah. half of the, uh, if, if masks are optional, mm. then of those that still wear masks, uh, you'd have yeah half who uh, who are doing it out of fear, you know, mis- misguided belief that the mask uh, protects them from the virus, and they're still terrified of the virus because they still believe Neil, Neil Ferguson that it's like the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, but the other half are just virtue signaling. Look, look, look at how good I am. I'm uh, yeah. You know, I'm morally I'm morally superior to you because I'm wearing a mask and I care deeply about people and and uh, I care more about people than you do. Yeah. I guess so. Well, like I say, this is the first podcast we've done without masks, John. So uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Okay. I just want to clarify that was a joke. John was right. We don't wear masks for the podcast. During the podcast. No, we don't. And we have. So be cautious. Okay. Because if you're listening to this podcast, remember it was recorded without masks. Yeah. Uh, So you could, you know, you might get the virus through your ears by listening to this podcast. That's true. <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay, well, thanks a lot, John. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us again for episode 26 of Justice with John Carpe. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Talk to you next week, Kevin. Take care. Bye.